So, guys, uh, you will have already had your our regular Tuesday episode. Um, but basically, when we were recording on Sunday, uh, Lux went first, and Lux's story ran on really long. I fucked up. But it was a really, really good story. Thanks, So, babe. yeah, you're very welcome. So we decided to keep it in, and we're going to make it uh, this little bonus episode. So I hope you enjoy. This is Lux's story. If you listen to us mainly for Sam's voice, this episode is not for you. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, it's a fantastic story, and we thought we wanted to leave it in. So we hope you guys enjoy this little bonus episode. Here we go. So you remember I was telling you about the Soham murders? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I was, I was going to do a case... Um, and it was going to be about these two 10-year-old girls who were murdered in Soham, which is where my best friend grew up. Um, it's right near Cambridgeshire, which is where we grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I decided it was a bit too close to home and it would be a bit like too upsetting. But last night I was listening to Wine and Crime, great podcast, and they actually cover it in their forensic botany episode. So check it out if you want to. We're not going to cover it because I got too upset. It's too close to home. Like legitimately. It's literally too close to home. Yeah, like, I remember people talking about it in secondary school and, you know, calling my friend up and asking if she knew anything about it. It was just weird and crazy and I didn't like it. So we're going to talk about something a bit more lighthearted. Just some more child murder. Oh, good. Yep. Um, False imprisonment, police brutality, um, like, weird interrogation methods, like, unethical ones. Way more lighthearted, right? Oh, the levity is unbelievable. Mm. So those are my content warnings. Should I, should I get going? Yeah, I think you should just get jump right in. Let's do it. Alrighty. So I'm going to make this sort of a little bit of a, a murder mystery for you because okay. uh, because I want to. Awesome. There's, there's not really another reason. So I'm going to start with the murders. So this is all in the Chicago area in Cook County, which is, hello, where I was born. Wow. But this was a long time before I was born. Um, but it's still it's still cool. Still very cool. It's c- still kind of a hometown murder, if you, kind of. So on June fifth, nineteen forty five, forty three year old Josephine Ross was found dead in her apartment in Cook County, Chicago, mm-hmm. Chicago Illinois. Um, she'd been <laughs> my notes say repeatedly tagged, but I'm pretty sure it was stabbed. Yeah, that sounds more likely. Like that sounds like that doesn't sound like a game of it. Yeah, gone wrong. Or tag in America. Yeah. Gone wrong. Like she got tagged so many times that she just like, she died. Died from exhaustion of playing tag. We all have stories like that about school where we were just like, yeah, that kid was leaning back on his chair and he died. Like this kid was playing tag too hard and she died. But but now she was just stabbed. I say just stabbed. That's sadder. Yeah, a lot sadder. And her head was wrapped in a dress, presumably her own dress from her apartment. So it was presumed that she'd startled an intruder who had then killed her. But nothing was missing from the apartment. There were no valuables taken. And dark hairs were found clutched in Ross's hand. And what does that mean, Sammy? Uh, defensive wounds. Yeah. Tried to uh, uh, go against her attacker. Yeah, she, she struggled with the attacker. Mm-hmm. So they, they're presuming that the attacker has dark hair because why else would these hairs be clutched in her hand? Of course. Um, so they looked for a man with dark hair who would maybe, you know, they asked anyone, is there a man with dark hair who's been loitering around this apartment block? Yeah, I was going to say, like, they looked for a man with dark hair and they found millions. They <laughs> All over they, Illinois. They felt they should probably narrow it down more. Yeah, no, no. They asked people around the apartment block if they'd seen anyone loitering or if they'd seen anyone running away, but there were no leads. 
Then, uh, a few months later, December 10th, 1945, Frances Brown was discovered dead in her apartment. It's a little bit of a pattern here. A cleaning lady found her after she heard the radio playing loudly and noticed that Brown's door was partly open. So my immediate thought here is like, what a nosy fucking cleaning lady. Like, like it's good that she did it because she found the body, but I'd be kind of pissed off. What if I was just naked, accidentally left the door open a little bit, was having a little dance to the radio, and then some stranger just pops in and is like, your door was open. That's true. But I feel like I'm. it's a necessary evil I'm willing to accept due to the fact that it's always nosy fuckers. Who nosy neighbours, yeah. Nosy neighbours, annoying neighbours. Who write down the licence plate yeah. of like suspicious cars and they're like, you don't belong on our street or whatever. They're always the ones who solve the crimes. True. So whilst I, I was a bit startled at, at this, but, you know, she must have been more startled because bloody dead body, isn't there? Yeah. Knife lodged in her neck. By the way, all of it's going to get more gruesome from here, so prep yourself. Um, she had a knife lodged in her neck and she had a bullet wound to the head. Bit of an overkill. One or the other would do. Mm-hmm. Um, again, investigators thought she'd probably been... Um, there was probably an intruder that she'd interrupted and startled and then um, he killed her. But no valuables were taken. Here is the bit. So this case is known as the case of the lipstick killer. Okay. And this is because there was a message written in lipstick on the wall of Francis Francis Brown's apartment. No. Yes. Would you like me to read you the note? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. It's so creepy, man. And there are pictures of it and everything, and it's just something literally out of a horror film. Jesus Christ. And it was red lipstick as well. Oh, of, of course. Obviously. Of course. It's, uh, the, the investigators weren't coming in and going like, mm, beige, like a deep mauve or something else. That's a nice nude. <laughs> I wonder if NYX stock it. <laughs> NYX is a makeup brand. Okay, so the message read, for heaven's sake, catch me before I kill more. I cannot control myself. Oh my God. If a, if a screenwriter wrote that in a film, I'd say that's two on the nose. I know, me too. How crazy is that's that? That's crazy. That reminds me a bit of the weepy voiced killer. Um, who else did that? I can't remember, but there's definitely somebody else who who made a call for police to find them before they did more because they yeah, couldn't definitely. help themselves. Anyway, so um, <laughs> so you know that meme where it's like the forensic files narrator, narrator says like, and he left his fingerprint on the doorknob and I'm eating my fifth mozzarella stick and I'm like, you fucking idiot. Have you seen yeah. that meme? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So for poli- police found a bloody fingerprint smudge on the door jamb of the entrance door. Literally reading this, I was just there like, oh, you fucking idiot, like downing a can of Pringles. Yeah, and literally just being like, my fingerprints are everywhere I go. Not if I were to commit a crime. Okay. I'd like to think. Anyhow, I just thought that was quite funny. Um, um, there was an eyewitness to this murder. There was one. It was a night clerk in the lobby of the apartment building who heard gunshots around 4 a.m. And rather than going towards the gunshots because it's his job as the security detail for this apartment building. Or at the very least calling the police. Yeah, he just sort of stayed where he was and saw a nervous man around 35 to 40 years old weighing approximately 140 pounds get off the elevator. So um, he noted that, pretty much did nothing. Wow. I know. Four days after the murder, the police announced that they had reason to believe the killer was a woman. Was? This is that, case is that just because of the lipstick? I th- probably they, oh literally God. the eyewitness saw a man. The other crime that is very similar to this had um like men's hair, like short black hair. So I I don't 
I have no fucking clue. The police, this is just the beginning of the police fuck-ups in this case. It gets insane. And I respect the police and everything they do, except when they do shit like this. Mm -hmm. And you will understand why my tone is so angry right now. Oh, it's bubbling away. So, next murder. This is the child one. It's January the 7th, 1946. Six-year-old Suzanne Degnan was missing from her first floor apartment bedroom. Oh, man. Not, maybe not apartment. Maybe just house. But it was a first floor bedroom. Police found a ladder outside her window and they found a ransom note. I'm actually going to just sh show this to you and let you read it out because the, the grammar and the spelling and the capitalization is just weird. So I want your, I want your opinion on this. I I oh, yeah, I want your, your initial reaction. Gel $20,000 ready, spelled R-E-D-D-Y, and wait for word. Do not notify FBI or police. Bills in fives and tens. Burn this for her safety. <laughs> so obvious. There are so many spelling mistakes so in So many, this. and the, the oh, capitalization wow. is just everywhere. Yeah, there's like random bits capitalized in the middle of words. That's really odd. Mm-hmm. So, whilst this note is quite funny because of the weird spelling and capitalization and whatever, um, obviously a six-year-old is missing. This is devastating to the family. To make matters worse, the Dagnan re residents then received a number of phone calls from a man at the home demanding the ransom, but hanging up before any sort of meaningful conversation could happen, right. before any clues or any tracing or anything could, could go on. So they, their daughter's missing and they've just got a bunch of calls essentially taunting them because, yeah. you know, there's nothing meaningful going on, like where to deliver or anything. Police questioned neighbours, but no one had seen anything unusual. Although they did get an anonymous phone call suggesting that police look in the sewers near the residence. Okay. They did, and they found the girl's severed head. Oh, man. Oh. Yeah. Jesus. So this is a monster murdering a six-year-old girl and severing her head. Christ. And if that's not bad enough, in the same alley, they discovered her right leg. They discovered her torso in a storm ditch. Um, storm drain. I don't know. Her left leg was found in another alley, and her arms were found in a sewer a month later. Fuck. Yeah. So it, this is horrendous. That's brutal. Yeah. So obviously, that if it's the same person, it's some sort of acceleration going on here. Oh, absolutely. So the victims have gotten younger, and now it's a six-year-old, and now there's decapitation and you know mutilation of the corpse and mm -hmm. everything. Absolutely disgusting. The police then questioned hundreds of people and gave about 170 people a polygraph test. And <laughs> I know. It's such, it's such bullshit. I, but this is the 40s, you got yeah, I mean, okay, you know. Okay. But, but I mean, still, you know, that's maybe go on some more solid leads. Um, I just, I just harbor so much hatred for the polygraph. I know. You know, there was a test done where they got like 50 people and they asked them questions and they just, it was just a normal examiner taking the questions. And then they got 50 men in both in both trials but the person taking the test was like a ridiculously hot woman and i bet they all failed and they like all failed because they were just like their their fucking heartbeat went quicker <laughs> they were sweating more like it was literally all like, the blood rushed to their dicks it, yeah i mean like, yeah i mean well that's not where the nodes are so it's fine <laughs> but literally it was just like man this thing is so inconsistent that it can the data can be completely ruined by the mere presence of tits 
Yeah. Just fucking whatever. It's ridiculous. Please, I just hate the polygraph. So no, much. I know. I, I, I do as well. Anyhow, um, again, the police fuck up. And on several occasions, they claim to have captured the killer. And then they became embarrassed when it turned out that, no, the people they'd captured actually had alibis or whatever. And those suspects were released. So this happened on several occasions. So imagine the family's torture going through this. Literally thinking that, you know, their daughter's killer has been apprehended and then realizing that it wasn't and then ha- that happening all over again many times mm-hmm. Ugh, disgusting yeah definitely absolutely ab- abhorrent police work there just do unless you're certain don't give that closure to the family just to tear it away from them Ugh, makes me so angry so are you ready for the suspects yeah i want to i want to hear the suspects hit me with them okay so there's 65 year old hector verber um I'm just going to call him Hector from now on. Yeah. Um, who was a janitor. He was arrested on suspicion of murder on the basis that he worked in the apartment building where the Dagnan family lived. Mm-hmm. He sometimes was in the area where the sink in which the victim was dismembered was found. So they obviously in that apartment building, they found a sink in which the girl's body had been taken apart. And he's sometimes there. And he's sometimes there or near there. Um, And the grimy, this made me laugh. This is a quote. The grimy state of the ransom note suggested it was written by a dirty hand and janitors frequently have dirty hands. (laughs) So they arrested him. (laughs) They arrested him for being near and having dirty hands. Yup. I love it. You're about to hate it. So the police were so confident that they, this is one of the cases where they said, you know, we've got him and they told the press and everything. Um, I don't know, how on earth could they be that confident when literally it's, he's dirty and he's close by. Absolutely ridiculous. So there were discrepancies between Hector's appearance and obviously like background history. It didn't match the profile of the guy that they had. They thought, you know, it must be someone who's got some butcher experience, some sort of medical profession experience. Maybe he's a nurse or a doctor or a surgeon or whatever. Um, And also an eyewitness saw a 35 to 45 year old man with a dark complexion. So, I mean, also who was like slightly overweight, 140 is, is overweight, isn't it? Uh, I think very slightly overweight. Slightly. But in any case, he doesn't match the profile. But nevertheless, they go to the press. Oh, boy. Okay. So, the elderly man, I think 65 isn't elderly. I think that's pushing it. Yeah, elderly is fine. Um, but he was repeatedly beaten by the police. He was questioned for 48 hours. He had a bunch of injuries from this beating but he refused to confess this is a quote from what he said about the experience of his police interrogation he said oh they hanged me up they blindfolded me Uh, i can't put up my arms they are sore they had handcuffs on me for hours and hours they threw me in the cell and blindfolded me and pulled me up on bars until my toes touched the floor i no eat I go to the hospital. Oh, I am so sick anymore and I would have confessed to anything. Jesus fuck, man. Oh, it gets worse. Oh. They also tried to pressure Hector's wife into implicating her husband in the murder. So presumably, there wasn't a lot of information about this, but presumably they were not extra pleasant to her either. Christ. He spent 10 days in hospital. Oh my God. From the wounds inflicted by police. And you might have noticed when it says, I know eat, I go to hospital. His English wasn't very good. 
and it was determined that his English would not have been good enough to have written the ransom note anyway. Yeah. Uh, so he was released. I don't even know what to say to that. It's ridiculous, right? So um, silver lining to this story, though, Hector and his wife did manage to sue the Chicago Police Department and they managed to get about $200,000. Yeah, good. Yeah. Very good. And that's 200000 in like today's money. Oh, okay, maybe yeah, even like minimum two hundred thousand. It's probably yeah, yeah. gone up a bit. So that's good for Hector. Yeah, definitely. But Jesus, putting a sixty-five-year-old man in hospital for ten days when you haven't got shit on him—absolutely yeah, horrendous. That's ridiculous. So there's another suspect. Okay, hit me with the next suspect. Sidney Sherman. He was a recently discharged Marine who'd served in World War Two. Hold up. Do you say Sidney Sherman? Yeah. P. Sherman. P. Sherman, Sydney Wall- uh, Wallaby Way. Yeah. Literally, <laughs> yeah. his name <laughs> is like the shortened version of the address on the goggles in Finding Nemo. I love that. I know. It's awesome, isn't it? I love that. Tell me more about Sydney Sherman. So there were a bunch of coincidences. And again, like the dirty, dirty janitor thing, it was such tenuous links. So he'd left his apartment without checking out. So... Um, without like finishing his lease or whatever. He'd quit his job and he didn't go and collect his last paycheck. Um, and he like moved state. Like that's enough to make him a suspect. But it's, I imagine you're going to tell me some other shit happened that I don't think is justified. Well, nothing as bad as what happened to Hector. Yeah. But the police did think it was justified to, to do a nationwide manhunt. I'm, I'm, I don't know about that. I th- I'm kind of okay with that. It if turned guy... out that he had an alibi. Oh my God. So, I mean, if they had just done a bit more research, then, like, if there was if there was more research and there were more links, then, okay, nationwide manhunt, right? Yeah. But if they had just done a bit more research before this nationwide manhunt, they would have realized it couldn't have been him. Yeah, the amount of, like, money and time they would have saved. Right? Jesus, how, like, a nationwide, America's huge. Ugh, anyway. So, do you remember the phone calls? So that's the end of, um... Sydney Sherman. I was about to say P. Sherman, 42 Wallaby Way, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the manhunt couldn't have been that hard. They had his address. It was on the goggles. <laughs> nice. So, do you remember the phone calls that ha- that called the Dag- Dagnan's apartment and demanded the ransom mm-hmm. that hung, hung up? up. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So, they decided to question a bunch of local hooligans. So, just young, wayward teens. Um, and they picked this kid up called Theodore Campbell. Under questioning, he admitted that another local teenager, Vincent, this is a great name, Vincent Costellotto. I love it. Costellotto. Yeah, say it in there. what's um, up, Vincent Costellotto? Yes! I knew you'd be able to do that. Costellotto. Yeah, local hooligan running around getting coffee, getting in fights. Yo, Vinny. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh, he literally would have been called Vinny, wouldn't he? Absolutely. Vinny Costellotto. I love that, man. I'm a big fan of that. I love that accent, by the way. Uh, yeah. It's, it's not incredible. the right accent. Like, no, it, it's but it's... Like Chicago. That's more like a bit... But like New York, Vinnie Costellato. I like, think it's warranted oh just by the name alone. Sometimes when I'm uh, in the flat on my own, I just wander around doing that accent. Do like, you actually? I actually do. I've done it a couple of times where I wander around and I'm just doing the vacuum. And it's like, God damn, got to do the goddamn vacuuming. Like, literally, I was just wandering around doing it because it's one of my favorite accents. I believe that. The vacuuming bit, I'm not sure I believe. Ice cold. I vacuum. What are you doing? <laughs> Fool. No, you don't. <laughs> Vacuumed today. Yeah, that's true, actually. So he 
fingered, <laughs> he fingered Vinny. According to Campbell's story, Costolato had um, told Theodore Campbell that he'd kidnapped the girl and killed her and disposed of her body. Sorry that this is so choppy. It's just I'm trying to get the name straight in my head. Costolato is quite a, in my accent, it's quite difficult to say Costolato. Costolato. Um, so he allegedly told Campbell to make the ransom calls to the Dagenham residence. Um, so apparently this kid did the murder. But when they started being questioned by police and undergoing polygraph tests, the whole story that they told fell apart. And it turns out that they just overheard police discussing the details of the case. And then they decided to call the Dagenham residence and ask for the ransom. Okay. Which is fucked up. Yeah, really fucked up. But not as fucked up as, you know, dismembering a six-year-old girl. So we're on to our, our second to last suspect. Richard Russell Thomas. He was a nurse who'd moved to Phoenix, Arizona from Chicago. So he moved states. He was a nurse. He had medical knowledge. The elements of handwriting, um, elements of his handwriting matched the handwriting on the note and on the walls. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but... Like Hector, the old man was, he was pressured into a confession. Oh my God. So he actually ended up confessing based, like, because of police brutality. But he was later released because he had some elements of the case wrong. So his confession was just of no substance. Yeah. Um, and it was suspected that he only confessed in order to avoid, like, the death penalty or whatever. Yeah. 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 Yes. When police fucking beat the fuck out of you and tell you you'd better plead guilty because if you plead not guilty, you'll get the death sentence and he's presented like oh man this gets me all riled up when like people who are technically innocent are kind of coerced into confession it's literally the police going beating the fuck out of them and then going right here's your two options you can either plead not guilty and we will convict you yeah we have the power here you can do nothing or you can plead guilty and you'll get a prison sentence Mm. right and they're, they're, they're presenting you with those are the only two options. You can't yep. plead not guilty and get off. And a lot of the time when this police brutality is going down, they haven't read you your Miranda rights and they haven't given you a lawyer. So you're just there thinking that these are the only two options. And so you agree to a plea before you even speak to a lawyer and realize yeah. that there are a number of options. Yeah. So lads, always ask for a lawyer. Always. Don't say shit until a lawyer gets say there. Say absolutely nothing. Although like people might think that not saying anything or being silent is a sign of guilt. In the legal system... You have the right to remain silent. Yeah. That's literally the first line of the Miranda rights. It's literally, man, like, in the in the legal system, purely looking at the law, just don't say anything. Yeah, it until, might make you look you more you guilty, but it will not contribute to your guilt whatsoever. Yeah. It's just a smart move. Cheeky bit of a life advice from us. So this is suspect numero uno now. And this is the guy that goes down. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. His name is William Hirens. He was born on November 15th, 1928. So at this time, he's around 18 years old. Okay. 18 to 19 when he gets um, apprehended for being a suspect. Mm-hmm. He grew up in Lincolnwood, Lincolnwood, which is a suburb of Chicago. His family was poor. His parents argued a lot. And so he decided to take to the streets and just sort of do a little bit of burgling. Just because to release his tension. And also he just didn't want to be in the house while his parents were, were arguing. Um, yeah, he said he mostly stole for fun. He kept the things that he's, he stole. He never sold them or anything. So the poor factor didn't really come into it because that's mm. not why he did it. But he was arrested for carrying a gun when he was 13 year, years old. Right. He, um, his home was then searched because if he's, you know, this 13-year-old with a gun, like, what else has he got? 
They found a number of stolen weapons hidden by Hirons, along with furs, jewellery, all this other shit. So he, and then he admitted to doing 11 burglaries. So he's 13 at this point. He's done 11 burglaries. Wow. Um, so he was sent to the Gilbert School for Wayward Boys. Um, only for a few months. Um, he was then released from the school. And guess what he started doing again? Buggling. Buggling. Um, and then he got arrested for it. So he was then sentenced to three years at the St. Bede Academy, Academy, which was operated by Benedictine monks. So it can't have been the, the most pleasant three years of his life um, at this monk school. Maybe they treated him well, maybe they didn't. I was going to do more research, but there's actually so much to cover here that I didn't really want yeah, to go into. Yeah, Yeah, so um, turns out he was an exceptional student. He was a fucking smart boy. His test scores were so high that they told him to apply for the University of Chicago's special learning program. Oh, wow. He was accepted. And just before, just before his release from the three years at this monk school, um, and he was allowed to bypass high school because his grades were so good. Wow. He was 16 and he got, a, he got accepted to a university. Jesus Christ. The university of Chicago as well, which is a pretty good one. Yeah. Um, so Hirons returned to live with his parents and commuted to the university, but it was impractical. Um, so he decided to actually board at the university in halls. But his, as I said before, his parents were poor. He couldn't really afford it. So he started working as an usher and as a docent. D-O-C-E-N-T. So what's what's a docent? I think it's just like a tutor, like someone who has the right to teach. So maybe he was so smart he did like some of the classes. Oh, okay, cool. I, I don't really know. What a smart little fella. Yeah. But he also decided to start burglarizing again. Not for the money, just for the funds. So he's a kleptomaniac genius. Pretty much, yeah. So that's pretty much it for the background on Hirons. Now we come to the apprehension of him, which is something out of of an action movie. Are you oh, ready? I'm I very, love it. I'm very ready for this. So June 26th, 1946, Hirons was arrested. That's my birthday. Not in 1946. I... <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not. But yeah, June 26th is your birthday. So on your birthday. June 26th is my birthday. Thank you very much. Yes, I... And your dad's. And my dad's birthday, yeah. How cute is that? They share a birthday. We do share a birthday and we look very similar. Mm. He always tries to say I'm his twin and I said I'd use his ID to get into things when I was like 16, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't believe that I was like 53. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I'd just be like, no, I've got that Benjamin Button disease. Let me in. Yeah. he could. Use I'm older your, than you, Sonny. He could use yours to like lure long, younger women and just be like, no, look, I am I am this young. Wow. He definitely shouldn't do that. No, he definitely, your mum's lovely. Um, <laughs> so anyway, he was arrested on attempted burglary charges because someone had seen him breaking into an apartment so he fled the scene. He starts running. And the building's janitor pursued him and blocked his path out of the building. Right? Badass. Then Hirons pulls a gun on the janitor and he goes, fuck that. And it's like, off you pop then. I'm not going to risk getting shot. Like, I don't care. You didn't even steal anything. You've, you've, you've fled before you've taken anything. Um, but someone did call the police. And two policemen came in from different directions to corner Hirons in an alley. Oh, wow. Right? Literally out of an action movie. A scuffle ensued <laughs> and it ended when an off-duty policeman dropped a flower pot on Hiron's head and oh. rendered him unconscious. Fucking what? I know. Was that police officer Mr. Bean? <laughs> it sounds like it, doesn't it? Oh my God, that's amazing. 
So they took him to Bridewell Hospital, which I was born in Cook County. And I thought, oh my God, was he taken to the same hospital I was born in? Turns out it's more of a prison hospital than a baby hospital. Okay. So no, but how cool would that have been? Not a lot of baby crime. <laughs> Not a lot. Um, their questioning was of him. Can you guess how it went down? Pretty badly. Mm. A lot of beating. Mm. So you ready for a little list? Go. They threatened him. They pushed him. They punched him. They jabbed him in the body. They took his fingerprints without permission Stop. or anything. They jabbed him in the body. That's what it said. I feel like that's a redundant phrase because you can just say they jabbed him. Fine. They jabbed him. Like if someone punched <laughs> me and I said, he punched me in the body. In the body. On me. I, th- I think Sorry, I think it was to specify it wasn't like jabbing in the eyes or anything. I or guess, like jabbing but I mean, in the butthole. It's, it's so vague. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> anyway, they took his fingerprints um, without permission or anything. Um... And I don't think that's legal because he wasn't technically arrested if he was unconscious when he was taken to the hospital. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I'm not sure on the law on that. I'm not sure either. But I also doubt he was read his Miranda rights. But again, like, that Miranda rights are a lot about testimony and stuff. It's not like we can't arrest you because you haven't oh, been read this. Oh, we'll get there. Right, we'll on. get to that. Yeah. Um. So they kept saying to him that they knew he did it, asking him how he did it. And they punched him in the balls, which caused him to almost vomit. That shit hurts. Yeah. Um, They also burned his balls with ether. Oh, man. This happened for six consecutive days. He wasn't allowed to eat. He wasn't allowed to drink. He wasn't allowed to see his parents for four of those six days. And he wasn't allowed to speak to a lawyer for the entirety of those six days. Oh, my Christ. Two psychiatrists gave Hirons sodium pentothal. Pentothal. Is that how you pronounce it? Mm-hmm. Pentothal, without a warrant or consent from either him or his parents. And then he was interrogated for three hours. Do you know what sodium pentothal is? Yeah. I was just about to tell you because I did some research on it. So, it's used to weaken the resolve of a subject and make them more compliant to pressure. So, I found this really cool. Um, this is from Wikipedia, obviously, because I'm not going to read like a medical journal. Mm-hmm. What am I, a scientist? So some psychiatrists hypothesize that because lying is more complex than telling the truth, suppression of the higher cortical functions may lead to the uncovering of the truth. Um, and the drug does this. It suppresses the higher cortical functions. I, I, I see that. Like, Because I always thought sodium pentothal was a bit of bullshit because it was like truth serum. But it kind of does make sense. It, like lying is harder than remembering. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, as in, not remembering something that's difficult to remember. I mean, literally, like, if someone said, so, like, if someone said, what did you do five minutes ago? It would be easier for me to tell the truth than Than to make up a whole story. Yeah. Um, So, we will get on to more about sodium pentothal later. But for now, I'll just carry on with how the investigation went. So, under the influence of the drug, authorities claimed that Hirons talked about this guy called George Merman who was apparently his um, alter ego, who had committed the murders. Um, And George is his dad's name and his middle name. And the press speculated that Merman was just murder man. (laughs) 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 I knew you'd like that. I love that. George George murder man. Murder man. It's like the last last week where it was like, Ben man. He's a man with a bins. However... Hirons claims that he recalled very little of this drug-induced interrogation. Um, what Hirons actually said in this interrogation has, is in dispute because the original original transcript has disappeared. 
Right. Which is shady as shit. How coincidental. So, on his fifth day in custody, remember, he, remember he's kept in for six days w- with all this torture. He was given a lumbar puncture, which is also known as a spinal tap, which is a medical procedure in which the needle is inserted into the spinal cord, most commonly to collect cerebrospinal fluid. Um, but it, it's to take fluid out of the spine for diagnostic mm-hmm. testing. I don't know why they did this, but I know that from Grey's Anatomy, I know that it's very painful. Yeah. And they did it without anesthesia. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, he, after that, he was he was pretty much immediately driven to police headquarters for a polygraph test. They tried for a few minutes to do the test, but because he was in so much pain that it just was fucking up with the test results, they decided to reschedule it. So when the polygraph was finally administered, um, the results were deemed inconclusive. And um, he was then transferred to the Cook County Jail, where he was placed in an infirmary to recover. Oh my Lord. So, <clears throat> after the truth serum, but before the polygraph, so before the spinal tap and then the, yeah, he spoke to Captain Michael Ahern, who was apparently one of the only, like, police people on the case that were actually nice to him, because mm. everyone else was just beating the shit out of him. So, he offered an indirect confession, confirming what he had said under the truth serum that George Merman might have been responsible for the crimes. Mm-hmm. But it was sort of indirect. It was like, maybe George did it, sort of. Yeah. But anyway, there was a, um, a stenographer at hand and there was also a legal person. Um, a lawyer. An attorney. Yeah, I, I, was, <laughs> I was thinking like, you know what the word lawyer is, don't you? Yeah, no, I just had a bit of a blank. A legal system. man. Legal man. Murder man. Law man. L- law, legal man. So, apparently... Hiron said that he was always taking the rap for George. Um, you know, it was for, for theft at first and then it went on to assault. But I didn't read anything about assault. So maybe that was just at school or something. And now he's like, well, now George has gone and done a murder. Um, but psychologists said that he probably made up this personality. A bit like... Um, oh, Kenneth, Kenneth Bianchi. That was it. I was going to say Son of Sam, but no, one he the, was legit crazy Son of one Sam. One of the hillside stranglers. Yeah. Anyway, so apparently he just sort of made this up and he treated George as sort of like a imaginary friend so that he could keep his diabolical deeds separate from his own person and personality. Okay, are you ready? So far, what do you reckon? Did you do it? I don't know. I mean, generally speaking, the evidence against him seems like nothing. I know, right? Like, uh, there doesn't seem to be any evidence whatsoever. So I'm going to talk to you about physical evidence right now. Okay, go. Because that's what exactly what I was thinking as I was reading through this case. As I was reading through this case, I thought, where is the physical evidence? What warrants this sort of behaviour? The answer is nothing. But I can understand why someone might get a little bit of ag- aggressive if they definitely knew someone did it, right? Because yeah. it's a six-year-old girl. People go nuts. Yeah. Here's the physical evidence that they had. They didn't have any evidence to link his handwriting to the lipstick message. Okay. That's evidence they did not have. They did, however, claim that his fingerprints matched the bloody smudge on the door jam, even though, remember, it was first a bloody smudge and now it's, oh, his fingerprint matches. Mm. So is it a smudge or is it a fingerprint? Yeah. You know, tell us, please. Yeah. But they're claiming that it matched. Um, Also, his left little finger, the print of that finger, matched nine points of comparison on the ransom note. What color was his hair? 
Um, the photo I saw, it was grey because he was an old man in it. So, okay. but his eyebrows were dark, so I'm assuming he was okay, he dark. Had dark hair, yeah. He had a dark complexion. I'm assuming. Um, so, state's attorney. Now we're going on to the. So that's the physical evidence they have. Pretty flimsy, right? Mm -hmm. Now we're going on to the the sort of how he's getting convicted. Whatever you get it. So, state's attorney William Tui. Uh, was assigned the case and he met with Hiram's defense attorneys to discuss a possible plea bargain. Now, apparently, Hiram's defense didn't think that he would get away with it. They thought we can try and defend him, but the best we can do is try just not to get him the death penalty. Tui, however, who was the, the prosecutor, he thought that he didn't have enough evidence and that's why he was going for a plea because he thought if this goes to trial, Hiram's is going to get off. Whereas if we do a plea, he'll have to say he's guilty yeah, and then he'll be in jail, even if it's maybe for not as long as it would have been, or even if it's not the death penalty, whatever. Right. So it's kind of weird. That just goes to show how flimsy the evidence is. Yeah, it's yeah. so subjective because two, dip, like, two different groups of attorneys, the prosecution and the defense are both thinking different things about the outcome because there's just not enough evidence. So the defense, pre because they thought that there was enough evidence, the defense pressured Hirons to take the plea and I am going to skip a bunch of this because I've been talking for too long. Essentially, what happened was, um, without going into the specifics, he agreed to a plea. But then when he went to the state attorney's office to actually do the plea in front of the press and answer questions, apparently Tui was just there like, now we finally get to know the truth or the truth of the case, blah, blah, blah. And then Hirons just went, do you want the truth? I didn't fucking do it. Oh, shit. So the plea didn't count, basically, because he told the press that he didn't do it, even though he was supposed to be there to confess. Yeah. So they came up with another plea. So Tui withdrew the plea and he changed the agreement to instead of one life sentence, it would be three consecutive life sentences. So he's he's like, look, mate, you fucked up. So we're going to give you longer, but we won't give you the chair. Um, he also threatened Hirons with um, charging him with another murder, even though he was at the um, Guybert School for Wayward Boys at the time of the murder, which was in a different state, so he couldn't have committed this one murder. Fuck. They were like, we're going to pin it on you. Yeah, yeah. And then you'll get even longer or the death penalty as well. Oh, so you'd better fucking confess. So on September the 4th, with Hirons' parents and the uh, victim's families attending, he admitted his guilt on the burglary and murder charges in front of a Supreme Justice lady man. I don't know. That night, he tried to hang himself in his cell. Oof. Jesus. Yep. Here's a, here's a really heart-wrenching bit. There's this person called Sheriff Michael McCauley. Mulcahy? I don't know. Sheriff Michael. He, af he was waiting to take, after the sentencing, he was waiting to take Hirons to prison. And he turns to him and he goes, did, did Suzanne, the six-year-old, did she suffer when you killed her? And Hiram said, I can't tell you if she suffered, Sherrick McCauley. I didn't kill her. Tell Mr. Dagnan to please look after his other daughter because whoever killed Suzanne is still out there. Oh, man. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. So what are you thinking now? I don't know, man. I, I don't think he did it. There's no evidence. There's no evidence. Are you ready to get enraged? Go. So, here's evidence of his innocence. So, I originally looked into this case thinking, oh, lipstick killer, that's cool. It'll just be a paint by numbers serial killer. Nope. I'm pretty fucking sure he's innocent. And here is why. So, 
the truth serum thing without warrant or consent. Also, in the 50s, most courts had ruled testimony gained in way of truth serum as inadmissible. Yeah. This was in 46. So if he had just waited like four or five years longer, it obviously, that it's whole, not up to that him. That whole confession would have been inadmissible. Yeah. And I reckon once this comes out, that's, you, you need to overturn it and do a retrial. I mean, he didn't even get a trial. He needs to get a trial so that this can be presented to a jury so that, anyway, you understand. Basically, it's just bullshit, the truth serum thing. Yeah. And apparently, people under the influence of sodium pentothal are highly suggestible. So it could very well be the case that they were like, did an alter ego do it? Yeah, leading or, yeah. leading questions are really a problem under the influence of sodium pentothal. Yep. So that's one reason that I don't think that he did it. Another one is that, remember I said the polygraph test he did was inconclusive? Mm -hmm. No, it fucking wasn't. What? In 1953, these two science men wrote a book and they said, quote, on the basis of conventional um, testing theory, his response on the card test clearly establishes him as an innocent person, end quote. Oh my God. So the polygraph was conclusive and it was conclusive that he was telling the truth. Oh my, well, no, no it's never going to be conclusive. Well, it's never conclusive, but if they were going to use that in a, in a court. Yeah. But instead they, said it, instead they said it was inconclusive, presumably because then they could pressure him to confess. God damn. And then the ransom note in which they found the fingerprint of his left little finger, not only was the chain of custody broken, so it didn't go through the correct like bagging and tagging process, but handwriting experts said that neither the note nor the lipstick message could have been attributed to Hirons. Also, the fingerprint would have matched 65% of the population. Oh my God. And the FBI fingerprint code book or whatever you need 12 points of comparison in order to say that the fingerprint was probably probably this person's there were only nine. Oh god damn so the fingerprint evidence does not count so herbert j walter who worked on the Lindbergh baby case Ooh. he was brought in as a handwriting expert and he declared that hirons wrote the ransom note and the lipstick scroll right so that you've got conflict conflicting testimonies here but this same guy, Herbert J. Walter, when he first looked at the case, he said, no, the handwriting from the ransom note and the wall are not the same person. So he's flip-flopped. As soon as they've got a suspect, he's like, no, it's him. But when he was looking at it before, he said that there's no way it could be the same person. Whoa. Yeah. So he's flippity-flopping. Also, you remember the, the smudge slash fingerprint in blood on the door jam? Yep. Well, it looked like it was planted because it looked like it had been rolled on like you would roll a fingerprint when you're doing the police fingerprint cards. Oh my God, wow. It didn't look like a natural fingerprint. It looked like it had been planted. Fuck. Um, so we've already discussed the invalidity of the ransom note fingerprints as well. Um, and finally, there are 29 inconsistencies between Hiron's confession and the known facts of the crimes. Oh my God. Yep. Despite this, Hiron's died on March the 5th 2012 due to complications from diabetes he was in prison up until his death he was 83 which means he was apprehended when he was 18 he spent 66 years in prison for a crime he did not commit oh my god yeah now i know i've run over time but do you want to tell me about their the suspect that people most likely think actually did it yeah sure just very quickly richard russell thomas 
He died in 1974 in prison. So there's not much investigation that can be done. However, here is his sort of profile. He'd been convicted of attempted extortion with a ransom note and that threatened kidnapping of a little girl. I'm just literally just listing this off. Um, handwriting experts at the time said that they were similar to the, his handwriting was similar to the ransom note. He was in Chicago at the time of the murder. At the time, he actually confessed to it. And um, he was also awaiting sentencing for molesting his own daughter. And he had a history of violence, including spousal abuse. He was also a nurse, which is what they said was probably, you know, because of the um, cutting up of the body. Mm -hmm. He was a known burglar and he confessed to the Dagenham murder, although he later recanted. Fuck. Okay. So there's all this evidence. Not only does he fit the profile, he's... I think he's in his 40s, so he's more like the eyewitness testimony that happened before, whereas Hirons was 18, so doesn't fit that profile. Mm -hmm. Hirons also didn't have any medical knowledge. This guy did. Hirons didn't have any sort of previous things to do with children or violence or whatever. This guy did. It's just fucked. But we'll never know because this guy's dead now. Jesus. That's crazy. How sad is that? Yeah, that's really, really sad. Yeah. And... um. Yeah, there was a documentary and I didn't watch all of it, but everyone who knew Hirons was like, if you spent even a minute with this guy, you'd know he didn't do it. He oh, did man. not touch that six-year-old. That's super messed up. I'm so sorry it went on for too long, but I, I cut a lot of it out. There's a lot more. There's a, um, I can't remember what it's called. It's like serial killers. And then it's got like the little scales justice symbol. Oh, it's yeah, a yeah. documentary series. There's one on him. There's a lot more information online, but that is, the short rundown of William Hirons, who I think is innocent. Fair enough. Wow, that was a really good story. So yeah, that was uh, Lux's story and uh, the little bonus episode for you. You're welcome. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>